Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. That's because BetOnline continues to be the number one online source for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and even futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. We have a returning guest here, and I always get so excited when he comes on back. I'm always grateful for his time. He is one of the great Chicago sports voices that we have known for so many years, and his podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, is a litany of unbelievable guests and voices from that Chicago sports scene that we know and love for the past few generations. It is George Offman. Thank you so much for coming back, George. How are you today? I'm doing okay, Joey. Better than some of the teams in this city. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I'm going to force you to dive into that just a little bit here. Maybe we could start a little bit on the positive side um, with a team that I don't think we have high expectations for this season, but honestly has had the first undefeated preseason since the 90s so we can maybe be a little bit more optimistic today let's talk about the Chicago Bears if you can let's start in the general sense of you know what has been your observation what has been your take on the first Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus Bears training camp so far their head coach and their coaching staff they have done a good job of setting the example of what they want to do with a team that probably won't win more than five or six games because if they win eight, then Matt Eberflus should be named coach of the year. That's the one thing that I have seen. Uh, the fact that they've gone 3-0 and in, in uh, preseason really doesn't matter. What matters is one man, and that's Justin Fields and his development. And the odd part about all of that is this is year one in their rebuild, but it's year two for Justin Fields. That's an issue because he has an extremely questionable offensive line and an extremely questionable set of wide receivers. So what is most interesting is how uh, Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator who they snared from Green Bay, are trying to use him. And already you can see, especially in the game against Cleveland, albeit the Browns were playing with really none of their really star defensive players, They're smartly using him and realizing he's not a pocket passer. He's got legs. Use them. And they are. If we could stay on Matt Eberflus for a second, I'm curious to hear your take on this because I'm trying to make sense of it myself where uh, with Matt Nagy, um, I feel like a lot of it was this passion and enthusiasm. He would use these buzz buzzwords and how we're all going to come and get it, come together. And our job as coaches is to coach them up and, then we'd get out there on the playing field and none of it would seem to make a lot of sense on offense. I'm trying to just determine with Matt Eberflus, is this just a refreshing change? Are there any parallels or anything that you kind of harken back to and maybe recognize from the Lovey Smith era? What do you think it is with them right now? Is it just them getting back to no nonsense, just playing football? You know, what is it about Matt Eberflus that is so different from maybe previous regimes in Chicago? Well, that's really hard to tell since they haven't even played a regular season game and he is working with a tremendous lack of talent 
Uh, plus, he's a defensive coordinator. And when he was at Indianapolis, their defenses were considerably better when he was there. Now, the Bears' defense isn't that great either. This is why the odds makers are saying they're going to be an under six win team and with good reason. So that's too early to, to tell. Other than in the preseason, I like his demeanor and I like what he is trying to do, particularly with his offense. That's most important. But as I said before, it's Justin Fields and it's how he and the staff are able to work around what this previous regime felt like would be a franchise quarterback. They're gone. You know, there's a new Ryan and there's a new Matt in town and they're the ones that are going to have to make the decision. Understand that their offensive line is so weak. They went out and got two veterans in the summer and neither of them, one of them is probably not going to make the team and the other one's not going to start. And their center is still injured. And then in the wide receiver core, I mean, they've got Darnell Mooney and who else? Um, Let's see, there's Pringle, Jones, and Harry. Those guys are all injured. And Harry probably will not come back until sometime in November. So this is, it's going to be a real trying season for them, but particularly for Justin Fields. I'm going to be very interested when this season begins, how they can protect him. And also they're going to be using the, the, uh, the running back more than Matt Nagy did, which is really important. They've got a good running back. Um, and so I think David Montgomery, and they're going to have to do that a little more to protect fields. That's the biggest thing is protect this investment. Playing players in the preseason is always a double-edged sword. When they play well, the coach looks really smart. Sometimes, like yesterday in the Steelers game, a helmet lands on TJ Watt's knee and everyone freaks out and says, this is why you don't play players in the preseason. But I think for a player like Justin Fields, we can get some you know, instructive observation out of what he was able to do against the Cleveland Browns, at least point him in the right direction. You've mentioned, you know, you're not really looking at wins and losses this year. It's about protecting Justin Fields and seeing what he can do. Are there any, maybe not statistical, are there any benchmarks, any sort of signs, any maybe intangibles that you want to see from Justin Fields this season that says to you, George Offen, this guy's making progress and we're pointed in the right, right direction by season's end? Well, uh, number one is that he's able to throw more touchdown passes and fewer interceptions. And that's usually a basis for a young quarterback is in the first couple of years that if they're green, they're going to throw a lot of interceptions. And he did last year. Uh, Again, the problem is that they they are so bereft of talent behind a, a guy like this. I remember when Jay Cutler first came to the Bears and for the first two years, remember, Jay Cutler came to the Bears as an all pro already. And he got killed because he didn't have an offensive line. And then he didn't have wide receivers. And then he had six offensive coordinators in 10 years. That's an issue. Already, Justin Fields has had his second offensive coordinator in as many years. This is where you have to have a a franchise that that stays the course. It's going to take them a while to be good. In the NFL, you know, you can get better a lot quicker than you might in other sports. But in their case, the worse they are, the better off they're going to have to get a good high draft pick next year. The problem for, for Matt Eberflus and, and staff and, and for, for uh, the, the uh, Ryan Poles is that it's a quarterback-rich draft. So for them, Justin Fields really has to make the next step. Again, that's really up to both Fields and the staff 
in how they employ them. Thus far, I'm impressed with what they're trying to do. We haven't played a regular season game yet. And let's not look at a 3-0 record because back in 1985, the Bears were 1-3, and then they just about ran the table and won the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's uh, that's always that's always important to remember too, as well as we're heading into this regular season, especially against a 49ers team in Week One. Um, George, as it stands right now, um, do you see the Bears finishing in last place in the NFC North? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think the Lions will be a little better, not much, but I kind of like some of the things that they're doing. Uh, but yes, I, I do. I, I don't think the Bears are going to win any more than five games, maybe six. I think the Lions could probably be a six or seven win team. And after that, I think the Vikings are a little better and the Packers should be a probably a 12 or 13 win team. But I mean, this is not about where they finish. It's what kind of progress they can make with the players that they have. That's most important. Uh, you know, they made moves this year to at least get more draft picks. Now next year is when they're going to be able to snare that first round pick. And it all depends on, where they're picking and, and who they get, because again, they are, they're bereft in a lot of areas, not the least of which now is to understand how Roquan Smith fits back into this team. Remember, he finally decided, okay, I'm going to come back with his hold in, not hold out because it has, doesn't have an agent. Well, he was going to play in the game against Cleveland, but he had quote tightness. Uh, they better get rid of that tightness in the next two weeks because he's a valuable member of this rather indistinguished group of defenders. Well, keep in mind, too, when he had his rookie contract, he had a hold out with his rookie contract. When yep. he came back, he hurt his hamstring. So this is, you know, this is almost a little bit about uh, history repeating itself. Just a touch there. Um, I, you know, not to throw you into a time machine, but we are talking about, you know, not just this year for the Chicago Bears, but the year after 2023 with cap room. Hopefully that top 10 yeah. pick. If the Bears are in that Vegas zone of five, six, seven wins, that probably puts them, I would guess, somewhere in the seven to 10 range in the first round. Maybe. Seven, yeah, maybe. yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit higher, maybe actually yeah. a little bit further back. But my question for you is, you know, that seems to be the prime place where a lot of these top wide receivers are now being drafted. If you had your pick right now, do you think that the Bears should focus maybe that pick? And you're just your preference in this future world on offensive line or maybe that first wide receiver off the board next year? You know, you win in the trenches. You always win in the trenches in the NFL. And so I would think that their offensive and defensive lines are something that they would like to commit to. But again, as you just mentioned, they're going to have a lot of money to spend. So it all depends on what they think they can do in free agency, which of course will be after they draft. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can put a correlation into um, what they would be drafting first. It's what they're looking at possibly in free agency and saying, okay, we're going to draft this guy and, in this position, knowing we've got a cadre of these kind of people there in free agency that we can bring in. So that's going to be the most important thing. I couldn't tell you that right now. Like I said, there are a lot of places they can improve. Yeah, and I think that's part of the – the thought exercise, right? It's just like, uh, you know, pick your poison a little bit and then see what you want to do in free agency. Off the top of my head, I don't think the wide receiver class heading into free agency of next year is that interesting. But as we know in the NFL and a lot of other sports, uh, star players get frustrated and angry and want out of town very quickly. And maybe the, maybe the cadre of picks that you're talking about, the Bears might be able to pull off that move. 
Um, I want to switch it over to the diamond if we can. Uh, I'd love to talk some baseball with you, George. Um, so what is more frustrating for a baseball fan, a fan that has to sit through 162 games knowing that their team has no intention of winning or the fan that has to sit through 162 games of a team that comes into a season with such high, high expectations and then watches them just just trudge through a season of mediocrity, a season of mediocrity that, that George, I really kind of can't remember the last time it was so one for one, almost like, you know, up three, down three, up two, down two, like this White Sox team. You know, what, what, what do you think would be more of a frustrating fan experience? Oh, I would think that it would be the White Sox. Um, you know, consider the fan base as well. Um, you know, the, doesn't matter at Wrigley Field, the fans are still going to be coming to the game, but that doesn't mean that they're not really true fans. But a lot of people come to Wrigley Field for Wrigley Field. Yep. The White Sox are the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball this year, bar none. And that can be seen just this last weekend where they were swept by Arizona after an absolutely, absolutely crushing defeat on Thursday when they were one catch away from winning a game three to two and then Adam Engel drops a fly, but this is a defensive replacement and a very good defender who just acts, just happened. He dropped a fly ball in foul territory. And Liam Hendricks, who's been great all year, gives up a home run and then they lose an extra innings. Uh, they're the most disappointing team in the face of the Cubs. I think a lot of fans know that they're in a retooling or rebuilding process. So there is that slack to be cut. People knew they weren't going to be good, just like the Bears aren't going to be good, just like the Blackhawks aren't going to be good for the next five or six years. But in the case of the White Sox, this is an unmitigated disaster, Joey. Not just what's happened now, but what they're going to do in the offseason. A lot of people don't realize they could be stuck with a lot of the players that they have now. They can't do a rebuild. This is the rebuild. Here's the issue. When they originally put this team together, I thought it was done very smartly with the certain trades they made and the long-term contracts to players that were team-friendly. And they went to Tim Anderson, Johan Moncada, Aloy Jimenez, and Luis Robert. Tim Anderson has been a terrific player for them. He's out for the year. Matter of fact, all four of these guys didn't play yesterday including Yasmani Grandel, that's five starters that weren't playing yesterday. It's like a minor league team. Well, now, what are you going to do next year? You can't trade Tim Anderson. You can't trade Moncada. He's hitting under 200. It's going to make 17 million next year. Mm -hmm. You can't trade Jimenez because he's not only injury prone, he's brittle, and no one's going to take him. This last offseason, I suggested the White Sox trade him now because he is injury prone, albeit I think a lot of teams could have seen that, yet maybe another team in the National League, because now they have the DH, might have said, you know what, with that contract, it's pretty good. Maybe we can have him, and we'll make him a DH. Maybe he'll play more than 53 games. He may never play more than 100 games. So they're stuck with that. Luis Robert has had a really tough season with injuries. So now what are you going to do next year? Uh, you got to bring him back. Can't trade him. Grandal's got one more year left on the richest contract the White Sox have ever signed. He's done. Okay, they could eat his contract the way they did Dallas Keuchel this year, which was a smart move to make. Then you're talking about a bullpen. And this is where I get into, I really get peeved by this. Major League Baseball, as Bill Veck once told me as a Cub reporter back in 1979, the owners are diametrically opposed to logic. And they still are. 
because they're paying more money to bullpen guys than they are to their starters. Look at the White Sox bullpen. It's been a, other than Liam Hendricks, who's been great, it's been a disaster for them. And they've spent a ton of money on guys. Uh, you know, Graveman, who they brought in, and Joe Kelly, all these guys. And it's really been a disaster for them. Well, guess what? They're coming back next year as well. So you have very few places in which you can improve this team. Part of another issue is it was built in a way that they thought they would have more than enough power. This ballpark, uh, guaranteed rate field, I mean, when it was first built, is, is, is a ballpark for power. It's one of the best power-hitting ballparks in baseball. Right now, the White Sox, I think, are 26 in the majors in home runs. That's killing them. They can't hit right-handed pitching. Well, what are you going to do? In the offseason last year, they needed a left-handed pitcher. They needed a left-handed bat. They got neither. That's probably what they're going to need to do next offseason. And on top of that, Joey, they have a high payroll. This is not an organization that's usually carried a high payroll. They have a high payroll they're stuck with. So the future doesn't look all that bright for a team that was supposed to be a World Series contender this year. They're in a quandary, no question. At least they didn't extend Lucas Giolito. There's another issue. Um, Dylan Cease, terrific. They're going to have to bring back Johnny Cueto. They're, I yeah. mean, at 30, he'll be 37. They're going to have to bring him back. Lance Lynn just started an extension and a contract. Couldn't pitch until June because of an injury. He's been up and down. And Giolito's kind of regressed to the guy who had the six ERA then a two ERA, and now he's back up in the fives again. They're a mess. They're a big, big, big mess, much bigger than people think. And if I can add one more uh, little turd on top of the stack there, Dylan Cease, is a, <laughs> he's a Scott Boris client. And let's be honest, I mean, I know that his money isn't coming up. I don't think it's for another year or two. That well, he's going to be decision the White Sox are going to have to make because he's going to be compensated handsomely in a way that White Sox traditionally or uh, dare I say ever historically have ever done. Correct. Only once did they give a five year contract to a pitcher. That was Johnny Jamie Danks. Navarro. Oh, no, the... Jamie Navarro. I think Johnny Danks got an extension. And, and the, yes, I mean, he's arbitration eligible, which is probably what they're going to do. I'm sure they would love to give him a contract now. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen because of their agents. So, and the window for winning is small. Tim Anderson, I think, has a couple of option years coming up soon. Will they do that? The option years are relatively inexpensive, so to speak, for him. So you're right, with the pitching staff, this is very, very crucial. Their best pitcher, they're not going to sign into a long-term deal because of the agent that he has. So that's why their window to win is now, and they're not going to win this year, and their window to win is next year, and they'll be lucky to do that unless they make some really interesting changes, but they're kind of stuck in positions where they can't make any trades. Now, they're, they're, uh, it's a rock and a hard place in terms of these decisions exactly. that they have to make because on top of it, you know, I've been seeing it for a couple of years, and, and, it, and it's, it's been more of a, more of a side, uh, side dish, really, than more of the main course this year. About, they're bad defensively. I mean, they have tons of de designated hitters all over the lineup. So it kind of leads into this other question, George, we're heading in this offseason of the hard decision they might have to make because they're stuck with all these other guys that you just so perfectly illustrated is they might have to decide between Andrew Vaughn and Jose Abreu. 
do you bring back a Jose Abreu who's hitting 308 right now, but only 14 he leads home the runs? Le- he leads the league in hits. They have to bring them back, and you're right about that. They're defensively challenged. They're also very slow, and most importantly is they can't bring back Tony La Russa for his third year. This is where Jerry Reinsdorf hired him. You're going to have to move him upstairs. I'm surprised, and maybe I don't know this, that Rick Hahn and Ken Williams haven't gone to Jerry Reinsdorf and said, Jerry, we need to move Tony up now to see what could happen in the month of uh, September because it's not working with him now. This is not all his fault, mind you, okay? But when you're conveying to players not to hustle because of leg injuries, this is also a really slow team, and it's not hustling. It's aggravating to watch it. It's aggravating to see uh, Jimenez, who doesn't run well anyhow, admire a fly ball that goes off the wall, and he winds up at first base. And that's how you criticize this team. And that partly is the manager's fault. But this is now looking more like the fault of the people who put this team together. They had the right idea, but these players aren't responding. And yes, Andrew Vaughn can't play right, really shouldn't be in left, should be at first, but you're going to bring back Abreu. Again, his numbers, his power numbers are down, but he leads the league in hits. The question is, can you field a healthy team? And that's been a big problem for the White Sox this year. They just don't have healthy players. And it's going to, I think, shock some White Sox fans this offseason where I'm going to throw another name in the list. And look, I, I like him. Um, as a player, but when you mention a guy like Aloy, what you know? What can you can you get value for someone maybe a year before the market changes for a player? Packaging a guy like Kopech and trying to package an Eloy and a Yohan Moncada, that maybe is the path to get it done to get something it, back. But what is the, What do you get back though, George? I don't even know if you get anything of substance at that point. Still, you you can't you can't package you can't put anything in any package with Moncada. He's got he's got a 17 million coming next year. You can't trade a guy who hit 196. Um, with regards to Kopech, I was one of those in the camp that said he's a guy I would consider trading. Uh, he, he certainly has great potential. I don't like the way they have babied him this year. Uh, there are times where they let him loose, but not often. Could he bring back something? Yes. But I think other teams would take a look at the issues he has as well. And so, yes, you're going to have to be bold. You do have players who are injured that will eventually come back, like Garrett Crochet, the lefty that was in the bullpen that could be in their starting rotation. But you can't just sit there. Jimenez would have been a possible package last offseason. And you're not going to trade Vaughn, that's for sure. I mean, he is a budding star player. Not budding, he is already. He's going to get better. But in the case of Jimenez, how do you trade a player who can't play to another team? I don't even think you can give him away at this stage. I mean, when he's healthy, he can hit and drive in runs and hit homers. The problem is he's never healthy. Again, the other day, out of the game again with an issue with a leg. Every day, it's something else with him. He's a terrific person. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you can't really give to a team if you can't play. So many decisions that they have to make. And, you know, you're, you're totally right on Aloy. And, unfortunately, when we started the season, right, we saw all these injuries with this White Sox team. And we said, oh, just wait until they're healthy. 
They've never had the, the lineup that Rick Hahn has drawn up on paper. It's never been out there on a day-to-day basis. Well, we have gotten a chance to get a taste of that. And unfortunately, it's a team that hits a bunch of singles. And like you said, can't really get any sort of consistency going on a day-to-day basis. It's gotten so bad, George, that it, I have read a couple of things. And would you buy that maybe Rick Hahn's job at this point is also uh, maybe in jeopardy? Well, I look at Jerry Reinsdorf, who's been very loyal, so I really don't see that happening. Um, But these are the players that were put on the field by him. Mm -hmm. The most important person in any organization is the general manager, not the owner who has the money, the general manager, albeit in this case, the owner stuck his two cents in and brought back Tony La Russa. Those, Those are the people who make these moves. They're the, the people who make the, 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 the trades and the signings to put together a championship caliber team. And it looked like that was the case last year, albeit the White Sox kind of slid at the end, still won 93 games, but were exposed by the Houston Astros. And then this year, they just couldn't hit for power at all. Almost unexplainable. If you want to be a singles team, you better have jackrabbits. And right now, the White Sox don't have jackrabbits. they got players with pianos on their back. You can't hit singles. You're just going to advance one base at a time. They just have not had the big, really big hit all year. And at this stage, as we go into September, there's, I would say, zero chance that they're going to be a playoff team. Zero. I mean, they've already proven to you that they're they're nothing better than a mediocre team. And the team that's better managed is the one in Cleveland. Tito has done a great job with that, that franchise, and they probably will wind up winning the division. And they don't have a lot of power either. No, but they have, they have great starting pitching. And, yeah, I was I was trying to wrap my head around because I knew we were going to have this this conversation, and it was like, you know, what, what world would it take for us to look back on this conversation and say how silly we were that the White Sox somehow turned it around in the final month of the season and made it to the playoffs? And I can't I, – I honestly, I can't find anything off the, off the top of my head. I mean – the starting rotation gets hot, but even still, even when we have good starting pitching like we saw yesterday with Dylan Cease, there still is that that solo home run or that run that you know Kendall Graveman gives up a run in the ninth inning. It's just one thing Walks after another. Walks two guys, yeah. They 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 yeah. they just they haven't hit this year, and that's the problem. But when they beat the Astros those first two games, they were five games over five hundred. You're thinking one game out of first place. You're thinking to yourself, maybe, and then a precipitous drop against the Orioles and against Arizona. I mean, their biggest loss has been Tim Anderson now down the stretch. That That's really difficult. They lost their leadoff man. But then when you're playing yesterday, like I mentioned, with five starters out, albeit two of them have had terrible years in, in Grandal and uh, Moncada, I mean, it's basically you are fielding kind of like a AAA team. And AAA teams don't beat major league teams. And that's been the case. Yeah, and that's been the hard realization, too, this season is when you look at some of these White Sox lineups and you remember, hey, we walked in this season with all this talent, and then you look at their their six through nine. Their lineup is just short. You know, you're, yeah. you've got Angle and Harrison and Zavala and, you know, and even like with a Gavin Sheets trying to fit him in the fifth spot to maybe make your lineup a little bit longer. It's just been difficult all year long in that aspect. Um, George, I want to ask you this question. I was trying to pull it up. Um, we're going to play a little game called the Chicago White Sox have been are the most disappointing Chicago sports team since blank. Um, I, I'll throw a couple out there for you. And if you want to add an extra one, I'm thinking the, the 19, uh, 2019 Bears. 
I'm thinking the 2008 Chicago Bulls in 07. They won those 49 games, and everyone was feeling great. We went to the second round, and then the very next year, they finished under 500. Uh, I'm thinking the 1999 Cubs after uh, Kerry Wood. Uh, Kid K took them all the way to the playoffs with the Atlanta Braves. Or I'm thinking somewhere maybe those 95 White Sox when they came back from uh, the strike uh, the strike shortened season, came back and played under 500. Is there any other team, or is it possible this White Sox team is the most disappointing that you've seen in a very long time? No, I'm going to pull one right out of the, the hat. The 2016 Blackhawks, who won the President's Cup Ooh, as the, the number one team in the league, were swept out of the playoffs by, by the Nashville, Predators. and mm-hmm. it was downhill right after that. That was yes. a team that looked as if maybe they would go on to possibly cop another Stanley Cup. They were exposed, uh, and that was it. Then that that was the beginning of the end to the beginning now for them. Um, I would include a few teams from the past, but you're, if you're talking about regular season, that's one thing. If you're talking about the whole kit and caboodle, the 2003 Cubs certainly belong in that category. Um, but for expectations for an entire season, it's, you know, it's really hard to look past these White Sox because they were expected to not only get into the playoffs but take the next step they're not going to get into the playoffs and i think everybody knows they're not going to get hot all of a sudden they just did and then they lost eight to ten games so i i would i would i would think that that this group would be it um yeah i, I can't say the the 2010 bulls because they look like they were going to go somewhere Derek rose got hurt so that's a different story that 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 completely discombobulated them but this white Sox team it ranks right up there yeah, I was trying to think because obviously, you know, when you look at the 04 Cubs, you look at the 06 White Sox, those teams, those teams still won 90 games. They just yeah. didn't make the playoffs in the end. You know, we all know the famous Latroy Hawkins against the Mets in 04 with the Cubs. I mean, they just they choked in the final week or so. I mean, this team, this White Sox team came is coming off of 90 wins. And I don't even know if are they even going to get to 80? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Are they even going to get to 80? So I'm just trying to sort of take stock of of what it was like, even at the year after the Bears went to the Super Bowl, I don't think any of us thought Rex Grossman was like, okay, well, here we come with Rex Grossman, right, that very next season. So, I mean, unfortunately, this is going to rank pretty high up there in terms of the biggest, you know, the biggest air being let out of a Chicago sports balloon in a long time with this White Sox team. I agree. I agree. George, before we get you out of here a little quick, I always want my audience to hear a little bit about what's going on with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Uh, you've been on the pod so many times, so if you're listening to this right now and you haven't checked it out, how dare you? Um, but uh, just uh, fill us in a little bit about uh, what's going on. Are there any uh, upcoming episodes? I know that you've been kind of rerunning some classics uh, that are always must-listen, uh, but just tell us a little bit about uh, how my audience can check out your podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. First of all, um, you want to go to Sports Media Watch. That's the platform that we're on now. So you can go to tell me a story I don't know, but you're going to wind up at that platform, and that's where we're at. Season six just commenced. Um, Tomorrow we are dropping part two with Pat Fitzgerald. Good timing. Part one came on the trip to uh, Ireland. Uh, He's a terrific guy. I I really enjoy talking to him uh, and what he has represented for that university and for the city. And it's a very entertaining interview. Uh, Coming up, we have uh, Greg Gumbel, who began his career in Chicago 50 years ago. Uh, We also have Porter Moser, now the coach at Oklahoma, and of course, Loyola to the Final Four. Ron Rivera, the coach of the Washington Commanders, 
whose team will be in Chicago. And that's when I'm going to drop that podcast with the former uh, Bears uh, defender of the in the Super Bowl team of 1985, uh, Lisa Byington, who is the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Sky trying to win another championship. So there's a lot that will be featured this season. We're already in the interview process for season seven of next year. Matter of fact, I've been bothering Chris Chelios now for a couple of months, but he's eventually going to do the podcast. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's a great joy. It's a lot of fun. If people want to listen to it, you're going to hear a lot about these personalities. It's not just what's taking place now. It's all about their history. And that's why I, when we started this with Michael Wilbon of ESPN and had Mike Greenberg and Bob Costas and Marv Albert, um, those were terrific interviews, but every one of these interviews winds up being a lot of fun. I interviewed Dan Hampton last week, of course, a member of the Super Bowl Bears with a lot of very, very interesting stories, and that'll drop sometime in November. So um, it's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, but you're going to find it at Sports Media Watch Podcast. Give it a listen. It's fantastic, even with the names that maybe you don't recognize. I mean, I love the Wayne Larravee one so much yeah. just because I, I think that he's – He's an underrated voice. Like, for me growing up, he was Friday night WGN. Dan Roan throwing it to Wayne Larravee, calling Chicago Bulls games. Of course, he's got a lot of uh, Packers, and he's got a lot of Midwest ties. But even though, even that interview was absolutely fantastic. And I'm excited to, watch, to listen to this coach's collection. I think this is going to be a nice little, I mean, between Porter Moser, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, and Ron Rivera. Um, the, this is a show, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that you just simply cannot miss. And uh, George, uh, congratulations on the upcoming uh, the upcoming season, season seven, season eight, season nine. Uh, let's go. Let's take on Mash. One let's season. Mash. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, George, thank you so much for joining us here on Bet on Chicago. Um, I'm always so grateful for your time. Um, I love the fact that you uh, that you you take a chance to come on this podcast over and over and over again. I truly treasure it. Thank you so much for coming back. Always my pleasure, Joey. Thanks. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos was presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 for that 50% welcome bonus. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. we got plenty more coming soon, so until then, be well, be safe, please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.